It is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you're having a nice one today. Beautiful day outside. It's been a beautiful week by and large. Um, good day to be outside. Get yourself some sun. Get yourself some summer weather. Listen to a podcast. You know, it's, it's a free country. It's your choice. Um, if you're listening to a podcast right now, it is Daily Delivery because that's, uh, that's what I'm talking about right now. And uh got a lot to talk about today. I'm going to get into the NBA Finals. What a game. Game one. Um, Celtics rally, stun the Golden State Warriors in uh, fourth quarter, 40-16. to 16, They outscore Golden State in that fourth quarter. Rain down some threes on the Splash Brothers and take that game. Got a few thoughts on that that I will get to here in a little while here. Lavelle Neal the third columnist for the Star Tribune will also join me, talk a little bit of Twins, talk a little bit of Timberwolves, and a maybe a looming new arena on the horizon. I know we've built arenas for just about everybody, maybe not even just about, pretty much everybody in this whole market has its own place to play right now, but maybe the Wolves are going to want a new one even after Target Center was refurbished a few years ago. Um, Got to talk Twins a little bit uh, outside of what Lavelle and I talked about because they lost again on Thursday. Like we've talked about, the schedule now gets a lot tougher. Lavelle and I got into that quite a bit, so that ground should be fairly well covered there. And get to some other NBA news, some changes perhaps coming to the voting for all NBA, although the imperfect system sounds like it will still be uh, part of uh, part of contractual bonuses, and that's uh, something that drew my attention because it's impacting the Timberwolves uh, this offseason with Carl Anthony Towns being eligible for a Supermax because of his All-NBA third-team designation. First, though, let's get back to the Twins. Another tough one on Thursday. Lost 3-2 to two afternoon game in Detroit. Things were going pretty well. Got a good start from Chris Archer got a two to one lead into the late part of the game. Joan Duran locked things down in the sixth and seventh inning, but Emilio Pagan, who has kind of flirted with trouble almost all season long, uh, finally gave in to that trouble, gave up a two run home run in the eighth inning. Tigers win three to two. Um, interesting thing here is the Twins. Going cold right now against a bad part of their schedule. I'm saying like a not the best competition. I mean they they had been feasting on these bottom feeders in the American League Central. Their American League Central record still 17 and 10 now this season, um, but just 13 and 13 against everybody else in baseball, and that includes I believe five and one against a very bad. Oakland team so I just wonder if at a certain point this season they're going to look back at this little stretch with some regret because they had a chance to kind of pad their division lead pad their kind of cushion but right now they've lost let me count them up kind of going back the last one two three four five six seven eight nine ten days they are three and seven in their last 10, all of those against Detroit and Kansas City after winning six in a row, five of those against Detroit and Kansas City. So they could not continue to 
have success against you know those those bad teams in the American League Central, and you know at, when they've had success in the last twenty years, really, it's been because they've feasted on those bad teams. And I do wonder, you know, the the injuries they've had lately, the the bad stretch they've had lately, how much that's going to come back to hurt at the end of the season when they look back at these games and say, man. We lost 7 out of 10 to Kansas City and Detroit. We can't do that. Again, long season. They're still in first place. You don't want to be so negative about a team that's in first place. You just kind of feel it slipping right now. And Lavelle and I will get into that here in just a little bit. But, you know, some of these things that they were doing well when they were going really well, winning those close games, getting out of jams, those things are not happening for them right now. That bears watching going forward because I was worried they were due for a bit of a regression feels like they're in that spot now and now they need to they need to get it together because these nine against you know these nine against the, the Blue Jays the Yankees um, the Rays those are going to be testers those are going to be tough games and they get some people back that will help but Sonny Gray just went on the injured list they're still missing some of their key pieces they gotta tread water at least in these next nine games where it feels like this is a like I've, I've talked about in previous shows a tipping point of the season. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Star Tribune columnist Lavelle E. Neal III joins me right now. Want to talk some twins with Lavelle, subject near and dear to his heart after covering the twins for more than two decades at the Star Tribune. And I want to talk Wolves as well. You were at, uh, you wrote about uh, Tim Connolly's introductory news conference and also in the context of kind of what might come next for, you know, kind of the big thinking ownership group of Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez. Um, Let's start with the twins, though. This feels like a tricky time for them. You know, they're coming off of a stretch where you got to play. Detroit and Kansas City a whole bunch they, they've had you know they got to beat up on Oakland a few times and you know but you know the schedule is going to be what it is but they're they're coming into a pretty tough stretch now of nine games against the AL Central including three in Toronto where vaccination rules apply and the, the roster is not exactly what they'd want it to be right now it feels like a, an interesting time that they're going to have to overcome if they're going to able to if they're going to be able to still feel good about themselves as a first place team once they come out of it yeah this is definitely going to be a tester for the for the local nine um just because of everything that's been going on uh with the with this team over the last few weeks um slowly but surely losing a, a bunch of their guys um for various reasons injuries um you know the, the, to me the the uh, sunny gray injury is the most troubling to me because he's pretty much uh, equipped to be the anchor of that rotation. And now a pitcher, especially a Twins pitcher, has any kind of owie that's automatically uh, a trip to the IL and then a couple weeks of, of rehab. And the next, you know, it's a month before they return uh, to uh, to action. So I'm really concerned about that, especially as you, you're, they're facing the, uh, the, the Blue Jays and the Yankees and the Rays and some other really good teams um, um, before the end of the month here. So, um, and they're not playing well. The office is not uh, functional right now. And you can you can point to injuries like that. Buxton still hasn't totally shaken out of the slump he was in uh, a couple of weeks ago. So that's taken longer than I, I thought. Um, there other guys breaking down. Um, and, you know, you get two hit by Tariq Scoobo, 
uh, like they did on Wednesday night. Hopefully that doesn't lead to some sort of mental anguish <laughs> um, going forward here because uh, scuba has got a good arm. No, he's left-handed. He can touch 97 with the fastball. Um, but um, um, given the twins earlier success against the Tigers to struggle the way they have against them now, you know, it's almost, I don't want to say it's panic time, but there should be a sense of urgency before they launch themselves into uh, a Blue Jays series and then the Yankees series. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, quite a situation here. I mean, you sit here and look at this injury list. I'm looking at three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 guys on whatever list it is. It could be the uh, Tommy John surgery recovery list, like Kenta Maeda, all the way to the COVID list for Joe Ryan and Gilberto Celestino and Carlos Correa, or just a regular IL, uh, like Royce Lewis's bone bruise or right. Danny Cologne's left hip impingement. Um, and shoulder impingements from with both Shaystack and Winder. You know, it's just crazy what's going on with this team right now. Well, and you look at the lineup they put out there on Wednesday, and the Thursday lineup was better, more of the regulars back in there. But Lavelle, Kyle Garlick, Gary Sanchez, Jorge Polanco, Gio Urshela, Trevor Larnick, Jose Miranda, Ryan Jeffers, uh, Palacios, and Gordon. That was their lineup that got two hits struck out nine times that gave me brisk two hours and 14 minutes they lost fast at least on wednesday but you now it's just a, it's a tricky time i feel like they've overachieved to get to where they are this year the pitching certainly has been so much better than we thought mm-hmm. it would be i think the, the hitting has been kind of spotty but it's been good enough in a lot of cases but they've you know they've won a lot of close games they've played a lot of bad teams i just feel like they're in a they're still in this prove it mode and the way to prove it is to beat good teams and they are not anywhere near full strength when they have an opportunity to play these good teams coming up with, you know, Toronto, the Yankees, and then the Rays. I know. I think it's just because of the way the roster is right now. I mean, because at the beginning of the season, they faced, you know, quote unquote, good teams in Seattle, uh, Dodgers, Boston, uh, the White Sox were all supposed to be good teams. And, you know, they fared fairly, fairly well against them except the Dodgers. I think they lost. Yeah. And the Astros. The Astros to the Dodgers, yeah, and the Astros as well. So um, that was in May, I believe, with Houston. Um, so um, they got out of April, you know, twelve and nine, which I thought was an accomplishment, given how the start of that schedule looked. And in May, I liked their matchups aside from uh, Houston because they had Baltimore and Oakland and Cleveland and in Kansas City and Detroit, right? Teams they could beat up on, and I, they pretty much did that, you know. Um, so. We, this is going to be a very, very interesting month just because of where they're at. Um, and it's not who you play them um, sometimes, uh, Mike. It's when you play them. Um, that's something that, you know, you normally is uh, safe for football, but that also happens with baseball, too, in terms of catching players when they're in form or healthy or not in form or on the injured list. So um, the Twins definitely look vulnerable as they go in the next two weeks here. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, we can't forget they are a first place team and they've done it largely by feasting on the teams they should beat. And you've, you know, you covered so many years of division winners in the 2000s and even again, um, you know, a little bit later into the, you know, the last few years where, you know, you get those 76 games against Detroit, Kansas City, Chicago, and Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes those teams are, are good, but usually you're going to get two or three of those bad teams. And I think it was 2002 that they went like 50 and 25 against the AL Central and were roughly a 500 team against everybody else. And that was kind of the start of their 
division titles. Now, you know, that's those are the, you, you can only play who you can, you can only play who you play and you should beat those teams. Uh, but it is interesting that that's kind of been the model again this year. And then next year, the schedule changes where you only get the 14 games against your division opponents. And it's going to be a little bit different. So I, I do wonder kind of, you know, how this, uh, this feasting on the AL central pattern will, uh, will hold up as years go on. That's a very good point, uh, Mike. Uh, the, there is going to be a roster adjustment and, you know, I, I don't mind doing it every few years, kind of changing how things are set up, you know? So um, I, um, I think that, um, It'll be a good challenge for the Twins to play more games outside the division, right? Or just the AL Central in 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 general to play um, uh, teams outside the division. So I'm kind of looking forward to that little roster adjustment and see, you know, how long that that takes or long how long that uh, that uh, how that affects them going forward here. Lavelle, let's shift gears a little bit. Talk Timberwolves. Talk facilities. I want to take you back to a time it was like 30, <laughs> 32, 33 years ago. Um, 1989, I think it was 1990, somewhere in there. Um, the Gophers football team, the Twins, the Vikings, and the Timberwolves all played at the Metrodome for one season. It was just one season that the Wolves played there, but those other three teams were there for a long time, sharing that facility. Um, fast forward to right now, Lavelle. Everybody who could conceivably want their own facility has their own facility. They've got practice facilities. They've got their own game facility. All the major teams have a facility. United's got a facility. I guess the Lynx and the Wolves share target center. I guess that's, you know, and then, you know, the, the practice facility, I guess that's the one thing that is a little bit shared, but that makes sense because they don't really play at the same time, but you know, twins, Vikings, even the saints, um, everybody's got their own facility. The Wolves have the oldest one. They've got a nice new, uh, downtown practice facility that opened up a few years ago, mm-hmm. world-class target center got a facelift a few years ago, but it was kind of cosmetic, not so much anything else. What do you think is next for them? As you think about the ownership group here, um, you know, swinging big for Tim Connolly is an arena, the next big thing on their plate. I think it's on the list here. And, you know, usually you can listen to what they're saying here and it just tells you everything what they're, they're about because they kept saying during the Connolly press conference how they want to be first class in everything they do. Okay. And I spoke with A-Rod after um, I got him alone for a little bit afterwards. And so I, I asked him, so, okay, when you say that, it sounds like it's, it's every aspect here. It goes down to the ball boys, to the medical staff, to, you know, yeah. uh, practice facility. You want to build out the infrastructure of this organization be top notch. And also to me, it also sounds like a, a stadium as well, you know? And once again, when I brought up the stadium question, you say, we want to be world-class and everything. And he said, the first thing could be arena. It could be this, it could be that. So I think these guys want to come in and do everything top notch. And then, and to me, that's got to include an arena. Um, Target center definitely is one, is one of the oldest facilities in town. Um, I totally dislike the Northwoods cabin motif. They added to the, the outside about what five six years ago. I don't mind I just, that. I think that like, I think that made it look a little bit better, but it's I, I don't know. It didn't you, do much could, for me. But you could only do so much. I mean, Target Center is Target Center. Some of the you know some of the sight lines are not great. It kind of good. It's just, it's just not how mm-hmm. modern arenas are built really these days. Yeah, and you know, and the day they bought uh, the day they announced their intentions to buy the team, you know, Mark Laura came out and talked about you know being able to blend technology into the um, uh, fan experience. So 
once again, that tells me that uh, it, it, you require a new stadium for that to be pulled off here. So um, I just think it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And, you know, uh, when I wrote the comment, mentioned it in com, I saw some of the comments to we cannot give up taxpayer money for another stadium. I said, you've done it. You've done it time and time again. We with always all these do stadiums. it. We build, ev- we build oh, everything for everybody. Exactly. You know, and you, it's hard. It's hard to argue when, you know, you're sitting on nine billion dollars of a tax surplus and the way we we financially operate the state. I'm not saying it's the right way or not. We end up with billions of dollars as in a surplus every year, you know, which I'm not happy about. I like to see our taxes reduced in order to offset some of the um, uh, 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 surpluses we end up right. end up with. But, you know, um, I, I just think it's inevitable. And I think the fact that the team is doing better now and the arrows pointed up. And uh, as I told A-Rod, you guys, you guys uh, made it safe for Wolves fans to come out again. You know, I think they're going to be re-energized because this is a good basketball town. uh, Definitely. And um, if they're, if they're playing well and it looks like they got a chance to make a postseason run, then I think it's going to be the right time to make that request and see if they can work together to build a new a new arena where it's going to be. Yeah, that's I'm my question. Sure. Where do you do it? it might, yeah. You might have to be at the same location. They may have to play in, in uh, Excel for a couple of years. I don't even know if Excel can be compatible for basketball, but I, I imagine well, it could it be. Can, it can be because they played, they played high school basketball there. Oh, they have. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I did not remember that. So um, I, uh, I just think it's going to happen. I just sense, sense it's going to happen. They're not necessarily dancing around the issue. I mean, they're mentioning it in their vision for being a world-class, first-class operation here. So, ladies and gentlemen, just get ready um, to, to see another hole being dig or dug or having um, an overhaul of Target Center into a modern um, uh, Telosha type of stadium for <laughs> their NBA franchise. You know, if memory serves, I think the Lynx had to play some games at XL a few years ago, too, when Target Center was being renovated because they did the bulk of that in the NBA offseason. I think they played a little bit at Williams Arena, but I think they had to play some games, maybe even a playoff game, if I'm not mistaken, at XL Energy Center. So it is compatible for basketball. Um, that would, you know, obviously there's a lot of dual purpose arenas in the league. Definitely a lot of NHL and NBA teams share facilities, although that's becoming less and less, and that would not be the permanent solution, but I think it could be, you're right, a temporary one. And I think the Lynx actually kind of liked it because I think they, I mean, they didn't like being displaced. They didn't like that it was happening on their season, but I think they also recognized that maybe they expanded their fan base a little bit by moving over there for a little while, got a few people from the East Metro to become Lynx fans, and they were very good at that time. So we will see about that, but you're right. it's it's It, it does feel inevitable. It also feels like you know, you can only do so much here to attract star talent. You can only do so much to, you know, overcome the obstacles of a cold mid-market, you know, team that plays in the dead of winter. Um, and one of those ways you can do that is by hiring top-level executives. They tried to do that with Tom right. Thibodeau a few years ago when they paid him the same exact contract, but minus the ownership stake, five years, $40 million. But he was doing both. He was coaching and president of basketball operations. So you give Tim Connolly that money that's not capped, right? Like this is, this is money that you can spend. That's not part mm-hmm. of your salary cap. That is actually, you know, something that can make you better than other teams. So I, I do appreciate how they're thinking big in, in ways that, you know, maybe you can't think big in other ways with this team. Yeah. You know, and the, the next step is going to be able to 
do their vision capital people model to bring in t- talented players. And if the if if the if there's hope for the team to become a winner, you got a better chance of getting people to play in in, in Minnesota. Um, um, if they if they weren't winning, it's going to be difficult because it's still a fire of a country to a lot of guys and a lot of players. You know, dream of being able to play a season in South Beach or in Southern California, or, or you know, or maybe in Arizona where it's warm most of the time and you only have to worry about going into cold weather places on the road. So, um, but you know, A Rod claims that he uh, spent a, a lot of time in in town during the winter going to Wolves games and he really enjoyed it. So uh, hopefully that's not lip service. And um, if he and Laura, uh, you know, are putting roots down here, maybe that would convince, uh, you know, quality free agents to come here. So I think this is a very intriguing offseason just because of what they need to do to provide help for Car Anthony Towns. And as far as uh, solving the D'Angelo Russell question uh, and how that pertain could, uh, how that could uh, drive some of their free agent decisions. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that final thought for you. I mean, I thought I went through this with Chip Scoggins a couple of days ago on the podcast right off of the news conference. But I thought one of the most interesting things that Connolly said um, at that news conference on Tuesday was that success isn't always linear. And, you know, that to me said maybe you got to prepare for next season to not necessarily be a big step back, but that, you know, sometimes that things come together in a certain way in a season and you should not expect that automatically to keep going on a certain trajectory. And it said to me that they're open to, you know, not just maintaining the status quo, but making, you know, medium to big size moves that might not benefit them in the short term, but the benefit of them in the long term. And D'Angelo Russell seems like that's right at the center of that big debate. Uh, I know. And that's a very good point. Um, and Paul Motter used to say too, sometimes when teams make a big jump, sometimes that next year, there's a little bit of a regression. Um, especially with young teams that are still trying to find their way. And the Wolves definitely are a young team. Um, with, you know, uh, safe for Cat, who's been in the league several years. So, and Patrick um, Beverly, who's been in the league and, forever. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Those are the, that's exactly right. So, um, it's very possible. But once again, we'll see how the offseason goes. Cause if they, if they can come up with a way to find a credible front guy, front court player. So I think Cat is more suited to be a stretch for. He likes to roam around. He likes to, he likes to spend some time under the basket, but he likes to spend some time away from the basket as, too, as well. And I think when he does that without having the capable front line player next to him, it kind of takes away from rim protection. It takes away from um, um, a post game down low. I mean, I watched Cat host up Montrez Harrell uh, two years ago, and Harrell maybe six seven, And he posted him up, and then he threw the ball out of the – post and then ran out to the three-point line and i'm screaming why didn't you just take the ball <laughs> to the basket against montrez Harrell? but that's what cat does that's how he plays that's the style so you're gonna have to adapt to how he plays and find someone who would be a good complimentary player or maybe be a little bit more than complimentary and uh, continue to find shooters and uh, probably try to cultivate another point guard instead of move on from Dilo. It is. It's a fascinating offseason. A lot of things in play here. We'll see how the stadium arena question gets answered. We'll see how the roster takes shape. Uh, Lavelle, good stuff. Appreciate you checking in with me, and we'll do this again soon, all right? Sounds good to me. Good stuff, as usual, from Lavelle Enil third. Glad to have him back on the show. A team that has a fairly new arena, Golden State, was the host of Game 1 of the 
NBA Finals on Thursday night, and the, the building was rocking. Everything seemed like it was going great for Golden State, especially after a third quarter in which they outscored Boston 38-24, to I believe, that gave them a lead after three quarters of, I believe, was 92-80. to um, So to go into the fourth quarter with a double-digit lead, if that sounds familiar to you as a Timberwolves fan, that was the, the least safe lead in the, in in the playoffs when the when the Wolves played Memphis. The Wolves, of course, lost three games when when leading by double digits in the fourth quarter. But this is Golden State, right? This is a team with all the playoff experience in the world. This is a team that's been there a whole bunch of times. This is a team with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, the core that won them three championships that got them to five straight NBA Finals. This was going to be you know They're going to lock this down against a Celtics team, which I believe did not have a single player that had played in a single NBA Finals game going into that night. You know what, though? Sometimes experience can be overrated. Sometimes talent and togetherness and just you know flat-out shooting is the thing that wins in the end, and that's what happened in the fourth quarter Thursday, Boston made its first seven three-pointers of the fourth quarter, end up outscoring Golden State 40-16. to And that was only after Golden State made a three very late. It was a 40-13 to run, just a complete blitz. Um, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I turned it on. I think it was 103-100 to for Golden State. So they were kind of already letting it slip away, but they were treading a little bit of water at that point. And then Boston... From that point forward, I think went on like a 17 to nothing run and just completely took Golden State out of its element. So Boston wins 120 to 108 with Jason Tatum shooting three for 17. Now there's some outlier performances in this game. Tatum being one of them on the, uh, you know, on the negative side for Boston. Al Horford's not going to shoot, uh, six of eight from three point range ever again in this series, I'm sure. Maybe not again in his life. I believe that was a career high for him in the playoffs or, in the regular season, now Boston got amazing performances uh, from from uh, up and down the lineup from from a lot of its players. Jalen Brown had 24 points. Marcus Smart was very good. 17, uh, I'm sorry, seven of 11 from the field. Um, so you know this this isn't necessarily going to be the way things go for the entire series. But my goodness, that was a huge win for Boston. And again, like I said, experience can be overrated. I think Boston is just the better team in this case. I think Golden State's good. Uh, I think they took advantage of a weak Western Conference to make the finals this season. This is not the Golden State team of you know, the dynasty era. It's still a lot of the same players, but those guys are all a little bit older now. The supporting cast is different. They don't quite have the same kind of closing energy. And maybe that narrative changes. Maybe it's just a one-game, a one-off kind of thing. But what I saw on uh, on Thursday makes me think Boston is going to take this series, and it might be rather handily maybe you know no more than six games it feels like at this point and it could be even uh could be even a a bigger a bigger cushion than that we'll see we'll see like i said just one game boston's not going to get that kind of performance from uh you know from some of its key players like it did in this game but uh that that one had to be troubling for golden state as they watched it all slip away let's finish with the cooler NBA Commissioner Adam Silver addressing the media um, in conjunction with the finals starting. Talking about all NBA, which I think is interesting. We're talking about how they want to tweak the process and make it just the 15 best players, not 15 
um, you know, not doing it by position anymore, where you had to have, you know, centers, forwards, guards, you know, wings, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> you had to you had to have some player designations, some positional de- designations, which resulted in um, specifically Joel Embiid of the 76ers being on the second team the last couple of years, even though he was second in the MVP voting behind Nikola Jokic because they both happened to play the same position. That's fine. I think Silver's right about that, um, saying, you know, the league is going to positionless basketball. Um, which is, I think is true. I think a lot of, you know, I think hockey is doing the same thing. There's a lot of positionless hockey going on right now too, where, you know, forwards drop back, defensemen jump into the play, things like that. So I think that's kind of a trend in sports. And I think that's a good thing to talk about. On the flip side though, they still think it's going to be all NBA tied into contractual elements. And that is a huge deal because that made Carl Anthony Towns tens of million dollars richer this year when he was named to the third team of the All-NBA. He's now eligible for a Supermax extension, four years, $211 million. It would have been much less. It would have been an ungodly amount of money, but it would have been much less had he not been named to the third team. And the things are voted on by the media. That's imperfect. That is the media deciding on these massive paydays for these players. And I don't think Silver gave a great answer as to why they're going to keep it. He said, in terms of the ultimate selection process, and to your point that in some cases can have a direct financial impact on a player's contract, right now we agreed with the Players Association to use those designations to trigger certain bonuses in players' contracts, frankly because we couldn't come up with a better way that would feel objective to everyone involved. So basically they're doing this because they can't think of anything better. They don't think it's good, they just can't come up with anything better. And I get that that's life sometimes, but that is not a good enough reason to keep this going. they got to figure something else out. Um, maybe don't have any bonuses at all. Maybe maybe negotiate with these players instead of having everybody lumped into one category. Understand that there are shades of star players and that maybe somebody should be making more than others because they are that much better. Anyway, that's my mini rant. I don't like that the All-NBA voting triggers all these big bonuses in players' contracts, all these big contractual you know, escalators in players' contracts. I don't think it's right. I don't think the media should be deciding on that. We have enough on our plate, right? We have, a, we have hard enough jobs. Um, no, we really didn't. We, we really don't. We have fun jobs that are demanding, but they are, they are, they're certainly not hard in a lot of respects. But I still don't like that thing, and I still don't like that Adam Silver had that answer to that question. That will do it for today, though. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy yourselves. We'll be back at it again on Monday.